everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I am your host, as always, Kerry Parker, and uh, we've got a great show again for you this week. Uh, we're going to start off talking a little bit about the news of the week, in particular this uh, crack uh, of Wi-Fi, K-R-A-C-K, that was all over the news. We're going to talk about that and tell you about how much of that you really need to worry about. Uh, then we're going to have a great interview with Ben Williams, who is from uh, IO, the company responsible for Adblock Plus. Uh, now, uh, a few weeks back, you may recall, we talked about web security and web privacy, and we talked about ad blockers. Uh, but really interesting discussion today with Ben on uh, why this is all happening, what, what what's going on in the market, what they have done, what their approach is, a very unique approach that their company has taken to blocking ads. And uh, it's a really interesting discussion, and it's a real food for thought. So we will talk to you, Ben, here soon. Probably only have time for one main story this week uh, because we've got a pretty long interview with Ben. Uh, but I need to cover this one in particular. Uh, there's some other news, of course, but that can wait for next week or the week after. So let's talk about crack. And by crack is K-R-A-C-K. If you haven't seen this in the news, it's a Wi-Fi bug. Actually, it's a series of Wi-Fi bugs that we have found in the protocol in the mechanism that we use to try to guard your data as it travels through the air from your Wi-Fi devices to your Wi-Fi router or to the, the Wi-Fi router at Starbucks, wherever you happen to be getting uh, your Wi-Fi from. Uh, basically, because if, without this, generally speaking, any of the data that is traveling between your device uh, and the Wi-Fi router um, is going through the air. And if you're if it's not encrypted, if it's not scrambled, anybody else who's nearby enough to, to receive those radio signals could potentially see what information you are sending and what information you are receiving. Uh, we'll, we'll talk in a minute why it's not as bad as it sounds. So this vulnerability uh, allows a bad guy with the right tools uh, and a little bit of persistence to take the WPA or WPA2 uh, encryption, Wi-Fi encryption standards, protocols. This WPA is something that you would set up if you, this is your home router, your home Wi-Fi router. This would have been something you set up when you first set up the, the Wi-Fi router when you brought it home and took it out of the box and, and followed the instructions to set it up. You were probably uh, asked to set the SSID, which is like the name. So, you know, when you bring up your device and you're looking for that free Wi-Fi and, oh, there's Carrie's Wi-Fi. You know, when you, that name, that's your SSID. That was one of the things you, you were probably asked to set. The other one was probably set your encryption standard, set your privacy, set your security. Uh, and everybody's always been told, use WPA, use WPA2. And those were, those were and are, unfortunately, the best things we've got. Uh, but because those are closed standards and they were not really open for peer review, it was really kind of hard to figure out where the vulnerabilities in this thing might be. But one plucky researcher has figured out by lots of testing that there were problems with this, that there are ways to break the implementation of uh, this encryption technology. So what that means is that potentially billions of devices around the planet that, that, that are implementing this WPA and WPA2 uh, down to the spec, if they didn't do it quite right, or actually, I, from what I've read, if they actually, if they, if they did do it by the book, um, can be hacked. And that's, that's really not, really not good. Billions of devices worldwide. Um, but however, there are some mitigations to this. It's not quite as bad as it sounds. So first of all, we're talking about Wi-Fi. So if a bad guy wanted to uh, sniff your traffic, if you wanted to try to peek into the data with this new hack, uh, he, she, uh, would have to be within Wi-Fi range of you. Um, so, you know, that could be a couple hundred feet, uh, depending on how good their radios are. Uh, but they have to be near you. This is not something that some Chinese or Russian hackers or, you know, somebody around the planet somewhere else on the Internet is going to be able to do to you. They must be physically close to you. So that that's a big one right there. That severely limits 
uh, you know, the likelihood that you in particular are going to be hacked by this. Second of all, this 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 encryption standard, uh, the only the only part of the uh, of this whole round trip that it um, covers, let's say, you know, you're on your mobile phone or on your laptop, you're using Wi-Fi and you go to Amazon.com or you go to your bank. The only part of that that it's encrypting is the part that's over the air. So the, as the data goes from your Wi-Fi device to the Wi-Fi router, that's encrypted. After that, it doesn't do anything. But because of that, <laughs> we actually have protocols that encrypt the things all the way back and forth. And that's HTTPS in most, in most scenarios when you're browsing the web. Um, that encrypts your web traffic. Uh, and there's also uh, derivatives of that called TLS that are used for some other connections. Basically, what I'm saying is, yeah, okay, so this 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 was there as a as a stopgap to 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 scramble all the stuff that was going over the air just right where you're at. But you really need, in most cases, encryption end to end from your device all the way out to whatever web service you're talking to, and then all the way back. That is already being done in most cases. So effectively, your data was double scrambled. And this just defeats one of those. So in most cases, the, the, your data is still scrambled. Uh, the important stuff is still scrambled. And even if they were close to your house, able to crack your Wi-Fi, uh, those connections are probably still scrambled. And finally, uh, most of the devices, most computers, most smartphones are things that the patches have been already made available. So as long as you're up to date, and as we say, patch early, patch off, and always keep your stuff up to date. As long as you're up to date, most of your smart devices are fine. The, where this is really going to fall apart is for our Internet of Things devices, our smart webcams, maybe our smart TVs, our smart thermostats, light bulbs that are Wi-Fi connected. These really cheap Wi-Fi connected devices uh, probably have poor security to start with and probably are also not easy or even possible to update, which means that all those devices... Uh, will have their traffic potentially hackable potentially forever until you replace that device. You know, now how much do you care about a, a bad guy looking at, you know, your Hue light or your Nest thermostat, you know, traffic? Maybe not. But the point is, is that we really need to bake the security in and, and we have to have some way to update these devices down the road because these things will happen. We'll always find bugs. And honestly, it's probably the government probably needs to get involved and set some minimum standards. And they have been taking some small steps in this direction. The government recently put out a uh, kind of a mandate for government purchase stuff that they had minimum safety requirements. And that should drive the market hopefully a little bit. Uh, but we definitely need to be doing more. So uh, the main thing for you to do is make sure that you update as many devices as are updatable. Make sure your smartphones, your laptops, your computers, anything using Wi-Fi is up to date. The harder one is updating your Wi-Fi router. Um, that's a little trickier. Uh, I will put a link in the show notes about uh, with a nice little uh, site that helps you walk through that process. You basically have to go to your, uh, your web page for your router. Uh, it's somewhere buried in that, depending on your manufacturer, um, you know, Netgear, D-Link, Linksys, whatever your router manufacturer may be. Um, they all do it slightly differently, but there should be some sort of an update tab. So someplace in there where you should be able to check for an update, and then you can download and install that update. You'll want to do that as soon as it's available. All right, and now it's time for our interview with Ben Williams. All right, and as promised, we are here with Ben Williams. Ben is the director of communications at IO, the company that makes Adblock Plus. He lives in Germany now, but is originally from the greatest commonwealth of them all, Kentucky. Welcome, Ben. Thanks, Gary. All right, and uh, we're going to jump right into it. It's a great time to talk about this topic. I actually just recently had a podcast on web tracking and, and what we can do about it. So we've been talking a lot about ads and all that kind of stuff. So let's jump right in. So 
I, I speculated a lot of things and said a lot of things in my own opinion, but I want to get yours. You're the expert. So tell me a little bit about how the whole ad, ad-based web economy actually works. Why do, we, why do we really even need ads? Why can't the internet just be free? Well, it's, it's actually a really good question because the internet used to be completely free. Um, there was a time um, before 1994 when the entire internet was there and it was primarily seen by everyone involved from the originators to the you know, first uh, uh, users as a tool to exchange information and really not much more than that. And right. then in, in, in 1994, um, it was AT&T. They made the very first web ad, and they put it on the precursor to Wired. And the weird thing about this ad is like, it doesn't look like an ad. And there's a, a site online where um, I don't know if it's an, uh, generally just an apology for making it or if it's just a, <laughs> uh, uh, an explanation for it. But the, the engineers who made it, they talk a little bit about it. And long story short, they just saw it more as a, per, as a uh, public service announcement. Hmm. And so you kind of get at the heart of what the you know what people were thinking about the web back then. They didn't see it again as a place necessarily to make money off ads, but as a place to exchange information. Um, and it had no AT and T branding. It had like, uh, and if you clicked on it, you basically got a list of museums <laughs> in the world. So it looked like almost a very very rugged like Wikipedia uh, sure. page. And then. Like 20 some odd years later, the Interactive Advertising Bureau, the AIB, uh, admitted we messed up. <laughs> and so, so in those 20 years, you saw ads just skyrocket. I mean, essentially, essentially um, they, they proliferated across the Internet and they became a way for people to offer their content uh, for free and um, for uh, users to be able to access that, but at the cost of their attention. So they yeah. had to look at the ads, and, and um, it, over time, they became more and more annoying, and um, then, you know, then ad blockers step in. But I won't go too far. That's, that's essentially how we got there and, um, and uh, sort of the, the difficult road that ads have had online. Yeah, I'm sure that if, you know, if, if early on, if somebody had said, you know, hey, we're, we're going to have to monetize this somehow, this does, this stuff does cost money. I got to, you know, I got to pay to host my web content, if nothing else, I've got to, you know, I've got to cover my own time and all this, you know, these things do cost money, obviously, and you got to make some money somewhere. And if, I'm sure if somebody early on had said, you know what, we need to go to this model where, you know, you subscribe to my website, it probably would have killed everything, <laughs> would have killed everything. So, you know, I, you know, it's kind of a love hate thing, I'm sure with the quote, unquote, free web, uh, it, we would, it wouldn't have gotten anywhere near as far as it did today, I think, if we had started charging early. Uh, and yet now that you're right, that that's left us with this, this conundrum of these ads that are, you know, competing ever more uh, vehemently to get to get our attention you know there's within one page there could be multiple ads so they want you looking at this ad right so it's got a flash shoot the bug shoot the bug or what you know all these sorts of things uh have you seen any other revenue models that that, that came close to to working was, was there ever an attempt to you know to do micropayments or um donations subscriptions have these things generally worked or my because it seems to me that whatever those things pop up there's always a free competitor that comes along that just eats their lunch Basically, none of them have ever worked. I mean, it's it's kind of I, I hate to say that, um, and especially uh, because we also make uh, we're making a micropayment system. 
we're launching in, in a few weeks, actually. Uh, but, you know, no, no plugs. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, go ahead. We, we, we can talk maybe more about it later. It's called Flatter. Um, and our, our take is that the problem with micropayments has not been the idea. We think there are enough people out there who would want to pay for great content. The problem is that they have to engage too much with the micropayment infrastructure mm. to give the payment. So ours is designed to be a frictionless way. You essentially put some money in an account, you browse the web as you normally would, and your money is then distributed where you had the most engagement. But there's there's this like apocryphal story of of Tim Berners Lee, the the you know inventor yeah. of the the internet, uh, wanting to put a dollar sign on the original keyboard. And again, I don't know if it's true, but I've heard it tossed around so many times that. Um, it's become at least a true enough myth that most people say, well, yeah, that would have been a great idea, right? <laughs> and, and so what you're saying is right. I mean, if, if we had been paying for content from, from day one, had that been ingrained into people's minds, there wouldn't, be, um, uh, there, there wouldn't be a need to sort of bombard us with so much advertising. But uh, unfortunately, from the very beginning, uh, content was offered for free. And at that time, you have to understand the advertising was making a lot of money. I mean, they were making, um, I won't go into the, you know, the way they measure it uh, right now, but, it, it, you know, they, they were making uh, a lot more money, like exponentially more than they do now. Huh. And what they found out in web advertising is that people actually weren't paying attention. Hmm. Basically, uh, in 1998, there was this paper written at, uh, I think it was Rice University, and um, they coined the term banner blindness. And you know, before then, we really didn't know whether people were looking at the web ads or not. And at that point, they realized in, uh, in, the, you know, in tests that people would actively scroll over the first banner ad on the page, mm. right down to the content. They weren't actually seeing the ads that right. were on the page. And so as an advertiser, you have to say, well, hey, I had my Levi's ad or my Nike ad on that page, and the people are not even seeing it, like not even in a passing way that you'd see a billboard. It's literally not registering mm -hmm. um, and as, as content to their eyes. Their eyes go directly toward the real stuff. And then, and then four years after that, in 2002, you have um, the first ad blocker. So once publishers and advertisers realize that people aren't seeing the ads and some people are actively blocking them. And then a few years later, as ad blocking becomes easier to use, uh, more and more people use it, it has a bigger user base. By that time, basically they know that the ads are not worth nearly as much as they were getting for the ones on television or in a magazine. But at that point, you've gone too far. Yeah. Yeah, I've often wondered that myself. And it, the classic saying, I think, in advertising is, you know, I spend half my money on ads that aren't effective. The only problem is I don't know which half that is. Exactly. And, and uh, yeah, I'm sure that that, that would that I, I you know, I, I certainly find that myself. And I'm sure that's, again, why some of these ads become so obnoxious where, you know, they're 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 trying to get your attention, you know, because your eyes are drawn naturally to things that are flashing or moving and and then, of course, we've we've got the the horrible ads today that you just start to read something that pops up in front of your face. You can't get around it. You've got to click to get away. Uh, you know, it's it's gotten it's just gotten awful. And I get, you know I completely understand 
uh, why people would want to use ad blockers. Let me before we get into that, let me back up a second. So on the micropayments thing, so the the flatter thing that you're the product you're talking about sounds very similar to uh, Google Contribute. Um, which is Google, of course, most people think of as a search engine, but they're not. They're an advertising company and a web services company. But I've read somewhere that something like 90% of Google's uh, revenue comes from advertising. Uh, and they had a product called Google, Google Contribute, I think it's still out there, where you could basically make a monthly donation to this. And instead of showing ads, because Google shows you a lot of the ads you see on the web, they show you kittens or something. <laughs> you, know, you get to pick your picture. And wherever this little, you know, because this web space is kind of like, um, these are basically like billboards that you're running out, right? So, so the mom and pop website, or even some of the bigger websites, they they're not they're not actively putting their ads in these places, right? They're uh, they are kind of renting out space to a third party who fills that and then cuts them a check. Is that kind of how that works? More or less, yeah. I mean, it's it it it's it's a very very simplified version of of how uh, web ads work, and one reason, perhaps, why it's so so rife with problems and we can get into these later, but maybe, you know, malware and, yep. and things like that is because there are so many players between advertiser brand and the actual publisher. And so, but essentially that is how it works. Yeah. That basically they, they rent that space out. It's like a little piece of land and you can, you can show your brand on that land. If you win in, um, basically what is a, a an auction to get that space. Interesting. So how much of a cut do these companies actually take? And uh, Google's obviously the big one. Uh, are there any other major ones? And uh, um, and how much of a cut do these take? How does this how does that revenue model work? Did they they take 30 percent off the top? They they how does that work exactly? Well, it's 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 very so widely. It'd be impossible really to put a uh, a, uh, mm. a you know a number on it. But when you when you look at the the, the essential the essential parts of it. So you have people who, who sort of host the architecture on which it runs. And this would be something like, like a Google, right? Um, you have the publisher and that's the person who's putting up the inventory or the land to rent. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the other major players right now, because right now most of this is done automatically. You know, people don't do direct buys on a site. In other words, they don't say, I want to put my Nike ad directly on the front page of the New York Times. Mm -hmm. That happens much more rarely now. Now it all happens um, automatically, or in the businesses, they call it programmatic uh, advertising. Mm -hmm. And there are three big players in that, besides the publishers and the advertisers, that are sort of the middlemen, if you will. Mm -hmm. And they would be like, first of all, data management platforms, right? And these are people who manage um, a lot of the data about you and about me that they can find in order to send more targeted uh, uh, advertisements. Then there's uh, what are called demand side platforms or DSPs. These are some of these companies um, are like DoubleClick, MediaMath, DataZoo, uh, Rocket Fuel. And what they do is they uh, enable marketers to bid on uh, and buy ads from, ex from ad exchanges. And then there's the supply side. That's the other place where actual advertisements are sold to marketers. And some of the big names in that are OpenX, Pubmatic, Rubicon, AppNexus. Hmm. And the and, and bear in mind, Carrie, these are just the people right in the middle of it. Right. So right, you, you you still have the New York Times say on the other side, and Nike, the brand, on the other side. That's how easy advertising used to be. <laughs> and now there's all these people um, who are clogging up the middle. So 
Um, another extenuating factor of, of advertisements, and, and, and to get back to your original question, how, how do they get paid? Well, essentially, um, they take uh, the ad and they say, well, is this ad meant to be a display ad, one that is based upon how many views it gets? Or is it a performance ad that's based upon whether people actually responded to it? And then they sort of, you know, they look at the success rate, either the views or their performance, and they take the amount of money that was made and they split it up between all these different players. Hmm. So I know that's insanely complicated. But that's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I was that, that's good because I like the audience to understand just how complicated it is. Obviously, you don't need to understand the specifics, but just to understand that there's that many moving parts to the system. And one of the key takeaways for me from all that is that is that as a website owner with ad space that I am putting up for lease, basically, I really don't know, generally speaking, what ads are being shown on my website. Um, because it's all handled by some other third parties. I'm just kind of renting out space. That, so that leads to my next question is, do they have any control? I, I, if I'm a, I would certainly think that if I'm, let's say, a political site or a religious website, uh, you know, of any affiliation, there would be certain things that I would not want advertised on my site. So uh, how does that work? All right, let's just take a quick break, and we'll be right back with some more of Ben Williams and Adblock Plus. Well, the Out Loud Perspective awaits you in life, love, politics, a healthy lifestyle, your faith, personal development, and living an out loud life on AmericaOutloud.com. Glitcher News and Entertainment Network, where you can listen 24-7 on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. I would certainly think that if I'm, let's say, a political site or a religious website, uh, you know, of any affiliation, there would be certain things that I would not want advertised on my site. So, uh, how does that work? Do, do do you sign up when you sign up with these systems? Do are you able to say, put whatever you want, give me as much money you can? Oh, but don't do porn ads or don't do liquor ads or whatever. Or don't advertise something from my competitor. How much how much control really do, do the website owners have over over what ads get placed? In practice, they have total control. Hmm. So, I mean, they can they if they want, they can just do direct buys. Oh, sure. Um, so, so I mean, but the, in in reality, no one actually can do that. So, if you have say a a religious website, you're not going to be able to go to the advertisers you want because you probably don't have the clout to just go directly to a big brand and right. say, "Hey, you should be on my front page." The people who have that cloud are like the New York Times, right. um, big publications. So in practice, what you have to do is you have to go through all these third-party vendors. And once you go to any of those, you start dealing with ads that, as we talked about before, are programmatically served. And uh, the more players you let in and the more you automate that process, the less control you have. So you could, there are controls that are put on there and different um, exchanges, different, different uh, players in the market will have varying levels of control that they offer you as a publisher. But not only do things that you may not want topically get through, but also things that may be security threats can get through. Right. Um, the BBC, for instance, huge you know, professional website like the BBC 
had an instance of uh, so-called malvertising on its site, which is just an ad that has been hijacked by malware. Mm -hmm. So it looks and acts just like a normal ad. Um, it's part of a legitimate uh, player in an ecosystem. But because anyone can, can jump in and buy um, basically ads on that uh, ads on that ecosystem because it's so open. It, it also opens itself up to um, to uh, potential uh, ne'er do wells, and yeah. so suddenly there's a, an ad on the you know the BBC, and if you just mouse over it, your computer is infected. Wow! So that's a perfect segue. So I wanted to talk a little bit about you know obviously we've already established that these websites do need to make money somehow. Uh, people are averse to paying directly in most cases through subscriptions and, and whatnot. So advertising is kind of where we ended up. But uh, the advertising has gotten so over the top. There, there, there are a lot of reasons why people, the, the ad, ad block plugins and things have grown. So one of them obviously is malvertising. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a second. But originally, one of the things was just web tracking and privacy because back in... And I, this this always drives me nuts when people talk about well if you stop web tracking it's going to kill the ad industry it's like to me it's no it's not going to kill it it's going to take it back to the day when they didn't have targeted ads which still made money <laughs> it's just <laughs> different you know it's just you, maybe you can't charge as much for it or maybe it's just a you know a different uh, a different payment system but um, you know I, I explained this in a, in a podcast I did a couple of weeks ago but these web ads are are dropping cookies left and right. They're doing browser fingerprinting. They're doing all sorts of things because they want to know as much as possible about you, because the more they know about you, the more they can turn around and say, Oh, you want to target this ad at uh, females age 35 to 45 who have at least one kid who have an income of this much and then fall in this ethnic group and, and, and yada, yada, yada. I can do that for you because I know all about these people. So, um, Talk to me a little bit about web tracking and, and why it's so pervasive. And it is, you know, if, and if you know anything about the Apple's new intel intelligent tracking pro protection, touch on that as well. Sure. Um, maybe uh, go in, in, in reverse order uh, sure. on the intelligent tracking uh, protection. I mean, it, it's a great idea uh, what Apple is doing. It's it's refreshing to see a huge industry player like that do something that that is really aimed at, at ultimately helping the user out. Um, and there was just an article the other day on how pro people who buy ads programmatically are already feeling the pain of this. Wow. And that sort of segues into why we can't get away from this. And, and you know, bear in mind here, um, I'm not in the ads industry. I work in an ad blocker. So mm -hmm. we, I and we at Adblock Plus or at IO uh, more broadly, we're all outsiders here. And, but I think sometimes that we can see sort of the ills of the industry better because we are outside. Mm. And this is one where it just seems like people have become addicted to tracking. <laughs> and it's like they've set up a system where tracking and information about users, it has a certain value. Well, it only has a certain value because that's the system they've set up. Right. Right. And, and they can't. Uh, wean themselves of that system because they say that it produces better results. But if that in turn produces people who feel creeped out and don't <laughs> like your brand, is that a better result? Right. And, and so I think I think the problem is that uh, going back to that, go back to the original web ad. Well, you know, 
if if the advertiser who complained before the web that that uh, he he or she didn't know where fifty percent of their ad dollars were going, um, complained then they stopped complaining when they got to the internet because they Im- immediately saw wait we can track every one of these interactions, yeah we can go and we can look at all of them so it takes a lot of the mystery out of it and um, they sort of uh, became. I guess used to this this amount of data, and as they became used to it, you know the the price um, it became something that was a commodity, and and so so the more information you have, the more pointed the advertisement, uh, the more value it's going to create for for everyone, and that's just the reality of the the web as it works today, and then the other side of this reality is a consumer who for the lar- to a large part isn't that interested in web advertising and listen i don't blame you it's it's dry <laughs> it's dry stuff yeah you know but um uh because of that most people don't really know that this is even going on and when they find out some of them are you know uh understandably creeped out about it on the other side some people say oh that's good i want <laughs> i want google to have all the information about me that they can so they can give me more products and that's a personal decision but unfortunately, users have already been opted into a system, and they haven't been giving the decision at the beginning. That's the issue. Yeah, that for sure. And is there is there any way to stop uh, stop the tracking without blocking the ads themselves? Can we, you know, these guys are addicted to the tracking, so it, I'm not sure we could necessarily trust them to just stop tracking. But is there is, is you know with with these ad blockers with these new technologies, can we? Can we curb the tracking without necessarily blocking the ad so we can still kind of give revenue to the sites that we care about? Sure. Uh, you can do that with, with most ad blockers. Um, with most ad blockers, what you would have to do is you would disable the ad blocking functionality and enable an additional tracking blocking functionality. Huh. In addition to that, the Electronic Frontier Foundation offers a piece of software called Privacy Badger. Mm-hmm. And Privacy Badger just blocks tracking. Um, Ghostery also just blocks tracking. They don't block the actual ads. And, and so there are a couple just tracking blockers out there and you can modify your ad blocker to essentially just block tracking as well. Oh, that's great to know. Uh, one of the other reasons that, and I don't think a lot of people, uh, even think about this, but another reason that some people might look for, uh, ad block, uh, ad block plugins is the performance issue because, uh, oftentimes the amount of advertising, which is usually video or flash or uh, these, you know, big images, uh, audio in a lot of cases, uh, they're much, much greater percentage of the web page's content than the actual text that you that you want to read. Uh, so from just from a browsing performance standpoint, in a lot of cases, especially when you're talking mobile, when you know, when you're at home on the internet, we've all got, you know, most of us have broadband now, so maybe it's not quite quite the issue there, but we're still charging per megabyte on our phones. Uh, and so in a lot of cases, blocking these ads actually saves directly saves you money as well as, as well as time. Absolutely. That, that I think is, that I think is the next frontier in ad blocking. Uh, most ad blocking now is done on desktop and worldwide. I mean, there's estimate, uh, estimations of about, I don't know, 600 to 650 million people who use an ad blocker. And, uh, especially in the States and in the UK and in Germany, the majority of that's on desktop. It's switching a little bit as people are beginning to see that, hey, um, uh, I have different reasons or slightly different reasons to block ads on my phone. And that's a perfect one. It's actually saving me money. 
Um, because those uh, bytes that you're downloading on your phone when you're outside, away from your Wi-Fi connection, well, the ad bytes are going to cost you the exact same as the other ones. Right. It's 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 indifferent. So, yeah, there's a I, I think it was New York Times did a, a study, and they found that like um, they just did like something like the top fifty web news websites, and they just did the amount of data that was being used. And something like half of the data that was required to load the page was ad data. Wow. So, I mean, people don't want to pay for that, right? <laughs> sure. And the, and the last reason, you've already touched on a little bit, but let's dig back into the malvertising thing. So, again, so we've talked about these kind of rented spaces you, you, and these third parties coming in. Of course, the bad guys could come in and buy ad space like anybody else. And since some of these ads are JavaScript or Flash and that have sort of these kind of active web technologies, these are basically little programs running within your browser. And um, if they can find a bug in the in the framework that runs these things, or maybe a bug in your browser, or maybe it's just a matter of just getting you to click on something and go to a website that might be laced with malware. That's that's this is one of the things that drove me to uh, kind of basically recommend ad blockers to to all my audience because you know whether what. what regardless what you think about tracking you know maybe that's creepy or not that that that's one reason you know but we do have to support the web but when it comes down to just pure security uh there are issues out there can you do you have any idea how prevalent malvertising actually is what is the industry doing to to stop it what can they do uh how dangerous really is malvertising we hear about it a lot but is it is it overhyped no it's 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 really not i mean it's it's like one of those things that the majority of users right now probably won't encounter it but it from uh, 15 to 16, 20, uh, 2015 to 2016, it, it rose over 100% mm. um, in, in prevalence on the web. And um, it's so dangerous because it works with the web infrastructure that exists. You know, it doesn't, uh, a lot of, like, the, the general idea of, of, of malware is usually to work against something, but this works perfectly well mm with the ads infrastructure and can essentially hide um, as a, a normal ad. So it's just a, a, a wolf in, in sheep's clothing um, and it appears on an otherwise reputable website. The, the thing about mal, malvertising is no one in the stream wants it to happen. There's, there's no villain here sure, except yeah. the developer. I mean, the, the publisher, they don't want that on their site. It's terrible PR. Um, the uh, the advertiser, uh, you know, if, if a brand is essentially being copied and 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 and, and uh, made to look like something that's not, they don't want that either. The problem is, is that a lot of times they would have to put up inside this web infrastructure much more stringent controls on what they let in, and most companies either can't or don't want to do that. Because that would, I mean, that would just cost money, right? I mean, the, the, you'd have to find something, and maybe it's even humans that are actually reviewing each of these ads, and that just slows the thing whole all the way down and costs a lot of money. I mean, it, it's so, yeah, it, yeah. Right. It, this would be very hard to police this, I would think. Absolutely, because it would be like telling someone, you know, now you're going to have to make a new department in your company, or you're going to have to make this uh, monitoring department much more. Um, you're gonna have to beef it up with more employees, more training, and no one at the end of the day wants to do more work. <laughs> so yeah. they're like, no, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna spend more money, and uh, it's sort of become become the norm, unfortunately. Yeah, a good uh, a good metaphor for it is like the uh, airport uh, security. 
right? Mm-hmm. So right now, it's probably possible to get things past the TSA. I mean, people do it all the time. Yes, it is for sure. <laughs> but, you know, so, so you're never going to stop everything. You have to just get rid of that notion. And, and it, like in the airport, it's the, the open web is, is if you know how to, to work it, a completely open space. Anyone can buy an airline ticket. Anyone can get into web infrastructure. Um, but if you have better controls, more stringent controls, more, um, more I guess, um, checks at the airport, as much as that's going to make everybody upset, um, it's going to probably cut down on the amount of things that get through. And so th- that's kind of analogous to what a, uh, a web ad exchange would have to do. They would just have to put up more controls and, you know, no one really wants to do more work. Right. So all of this leads up to the emergence of ad block plugins. So somewhere along the line, uh, someone came up with the idea to say, Hey, these, these things are annoying. I don't want to see them anymore. Uh, and put in a little plug into your web browser that figures out the little parts of the web page because your web page is really just a patchwork quilt of all sorts of things. Used to be in the old days, it was one thing. You go to one site, everything came from that one site. But today, in the modern, especially with advertising, these things are being pulled little bits and pieces behind the scenes from all over the place. So these these plugins figured out and uh, how to say oh, that's an ad, so I'm just not going to show it. And tell me a little bit about where AdBlock Plus came into this picture and a little bit of the history of AdBlock Plus. Sure. So, uh, as I mentioned before, the first ad blocker was written in 2002. Um, and confusingly it was called ad block. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were called ad block plus later, but it was actually the same code. <laughs> so oh, wow. what, what happened is ad block sprang up. It was a, a Danish guy who wrote the first code, but the first code was very hard to use. You had to be pretty tech savvy to even use it, um, on your, on your machine. And then it passed through a couple people's hands. Uh, one thing about AdBlock, uh, almost all ad blockers, is they've they've consistently been open source software, which just means that exactly what you imagine, the code is open for anyone to work on, improve on, and look at. And um, so this initial project got passed around to a couple people, and a fork of it eventually landed on uh, or came to the interest of uh, the co-founder of our company, a guy named Vladimir Palin. And Vladimir at the time was was working for a navigational company, uh, like a navigational tool company as a developer. And uh, he picked it up, started working with it in his spare time. And um, from this fork of Adblock, uh, he started to offer a couple different uh, services that weren't there before. And the biggest service that he offered that made it um, easy to use was the ability to just subscribe to a certain function. And so, so instead of having to write any code yourself, you could just say, I want to block ads or I want to block tracking or I want to block whatever. And um, when he did this, it became hugely popular. And in, uh, in three years, by 2009, he had about 30 million users and was way on top on the Mozilla um, add-on store. And, uh, yeah, that, that was kind of how Adblock Plus uh, came around. And um, now it's it's become much more. Uh, we can maybe get into that. But now there are lots of other ad blockers out there. Many of them are still based upon that original code hmm. um, and or variations of it, forks of it. And um, it has become something that has mushroomed 
into a worldwide phenomenon to where people across the world do it. And as I mentioned before, there are um, about 650 or so million users. Uh, we at Adblock Plus, we have about 100 million users, uh, a little over that, and uh, have been downloaded close to a billion times. Wow. So it's huge. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I guess I should back up just for and just in case you don't know, and, and maybe I suppose a lot of people don't. Uh, plugins for your browser: uh, Firefox and Internet Explorer, Safari. Now, finally, recently, um, uh, what am I forgetting? Chrome, obviously, the the eight hundred pound gorilla. These guys have all got these extensions that you can give for your web browser that gives it extra functionality. Uh, so you can download these things. Almost, I think they're all. I don't think I've ever seen a plugin that you had to pay for it, unless it maybe the service you had to pay for. But these are little add-ons you can put in your browser and um, to add some functionality. And this one, of course, is blocking ads. So probably should have covered that to begin with. But let's let's dig in a little bit about Adblock Plus. You guys are you guys are different than the average bear. You you guys uh, ha- have what you call acceptable ads, and uh, and and this is something that that as soon as I heard that the first time I heard it, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> what are, what, well, who gets to determine what an acceptable ad is and how does that work exactly? All right, one more quick break and we'll be back to finish our interview with Ben and uh, then we'll have the tip of the week. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. So talk to us a little bit about about how your acceptable ads programs work, because I think this has got to be one of the things that differentiates you between the, re- the, the, the other ad blocks. Well, surprisingly, not anymore. Um, a lot of the other uh, ad blockers have similar, similar functions now, but we can get to that in a second. Um, acceptable ads started uh, because, going back to, uh, to Vladimir, he saw that he had a lot of users, and, and he... Um, realized, you know, he's costing publishers a whole lot of money. And he thought, well, what would be a way to sort of give some of that money back? And um, the first idea that he had was to, for lack of a better way of putting it, guilting people into deactivating their ad blocker on pages they visited often. So uh, the, what you call that deactivating your ad blocker is a whitelisting mm-hmm. page, right? So he would send people this notification if they had visited a certain uh, site with a certain amount of frequency and just say, hey, you may want to do this site a solid and whitelist it. Mm-hmm. And that didn't work. Our, our users hated it. <laughs> In fact, they said, what, what the heck is this? This is, an, this is a notification on my screen. This is like a pop-up ad that my mm-hmm. ad blocker is serving me. <laughs> Take this away, please. And, and so we got the point. Um, I should say he got the point. That point was just him. And then uh, he, he thought, you know, there, there, maybe we could make a difference with, uh, with ad blocking um, by uh, basically understanding that ad blockers will accept some ads and that not all ads are as bad as, as, as you know, the worst offenders out there. So essentially, um, could, we, could we perhaps make criteria for an ad that would be okay even for an ad block user, right? Mm-hmm. 
So we want to draw a line between the pop-ups and the video and all that stuff and say, well, this sort of, you know, one ad per page that's not very intrusive may be okay. And this started as an experiment. Um, he knew it would be controversial, um, but he began to develop criteria with our users. So what is a better ad? And eventually he started to run acceptable ads and uh, was very careful to tell users, look, you can turn this off. You think this is a stupid idea <laughs> and you don't care about supporting the web and you see no value in web advertising. Fine. Just turn it off, block it all. Uh, but uh, he encouraged people, uh, of course, to use it because he thought it was a start of a compromise. But, you know, to be honest, it was just a start. This was 2011, and now it's been going on, of course, for six years, and it's changed quite a bit. And the principal way that it's changed is that, you know, whereas before Adblock Plus and our users and our forum were the ones who kind of uh, had the last say on whether an ad fits criteria or not, um, now those criteria are maintained by an independent committee. Huh. Um, and this just, uh, you know, to the listeners out there, if you haven't heard about this, uh, you, you know, it's not your fault. It's, it's a fairly new thing. We had the idea a couple years ago and we just had the first meeting last year and it's a, it's a cross industry group. Um, but that also has user and nonprofit NGO advocacy, um, as part of its representation. So it represents the industry, but it also, uh, hopefully represents the user. And they decide what is okay and, and what's not. So, um, yeah, that's essentially how, how it works now. And as soon as it became independent, other ad blockers were like, well, yeah, we could sign on for this now. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it made, of course, a big difference because there was always the danger before that we would get corrupt. Yeah, you know? sure. I mean, I mean, it's, it, it's there. And so, anyway, um, the, uh, the ad blockers who run it now are um, ad block. So to confuse everybody even worse, <laughs> there's Adblock Plus and then there's Adblock, both very big uh, ad blockers. And they both do this as well as uh, Crystal, which is an iOS uh, ad blocker. That's very interesting. So um, talk to me about what what are the, the main criteria that come into an ad block uh, to, to the, the acceptable ads criteria. So I, we forget, but back in the day, one of the first things was pop-ups because, and that used to drive everybody nuts. You'd go to a web page, and the the underlying HTML spec allowed for this thing of creating a pop-up window. And you know, at the time, people thought it was a good thing. Like, I want to have a login screen, or I want to have you know some little chat window or something pop off to the side, which is great. But as soon as the uh, the ad industry got a hold of that. They went nuts. You go to some pages and it was like, bam, 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 bam. All these windows come up. So one of the very first blockers we had was pop-up blockers that they eventually had to build into websites. So, and that was going way back. And, and they've since, of course, come up with, with new techniques that, to get your attention that we find extremely annoying. So what are the, what are some of the big criteria? Is it okay, okay to flash at me? Is it okay to, you know, be animated? Is it okay to pop in front of me? What, what are, what are the criteria? What are some of the main criteria that we would understand and know from ads that we hate that, that, that have made it into your criteria uh, that makes it acceptable ad? Basically all the ad, all the ads that you described would not be okay. <laughs> but uh, so, so to give some examples, uh, pop-ups, uh, pop-unders, uh, interstitials, which are those pages when you click on a website and before you get to the website, you see like a thought of the day or something. Mm. That's an interstitial. Um, 
also um, basically uh, ads that have animation, ads that have auto-playing sound. Mm, God, I but hate to those. Break, yeah, they're terrible, right? But the, but to break it down um, into the, the way it's currently, the criteria currently are, because the whole point of this committee is to make to evolve the criteria. But as they are now, they're in three sort of uh, areas. So size, an ad can't be too big. Um, so, uh, yeah, above the fold, there's a certain percentage that you can take up uh, of the space. Below the fold, there's a little bit more you can take up. And the fold is just what you see okay. when you open the web page. Um, there's labeling. This is one that's often overlooked, but a lot of times an ad will masquerade as editorial content. Mm, yep. Right? So it's important to have that advertisement or even sponsored. Something similar to show me as a reader, hey, this is somebody. Some this is not just somebody's opinion. <laughs> right. This this is paid for. So labeling is super important. And the last one is placement. Uh, when we originally did the uh, polling of our users, like on a forum and elsewhere, like what do you find to be intrusive? Uh, one surprise a lot of us was was placement. And they said, look, I really hate it when I have this big ad between two paragraphs in a text, like I'm reading, I'm concentrating, and the ad just totally intrudes. So um, you can't, for instance, do that. Um, but it also is the reason that you couldn't put a, uh, a pop-up, because that, that, that places the content over top, uh, the ad content over top of the actual content. Yeah. So placement is, is the third sort of hallmark of it. So one of the things I, that I often tell my readers is to follow the money and figure out, you know, what, what a, at the end of the day, when you're trying to figure out whether some product or service is beneficial to you or beneficial really to somebody else is how do they make their money? So to me, the Adblock Plus thing, you know, the the cynical person would look at that and say, oh, these guys are the arms dealer, right? Because <laughs> on one side, they're selling one thing to one thing. You know, on, on one side, I'll, I'll, I'm selling you, oh, I can block all your ads. And the other side, say, oh, but if you pay me, I won't block your ad. You know, it, that's, you know, I could see how people get that impression. So if, if I want to follow the money on Adblock Plus, how do you guys make your money? How, would, how do you keep yourselves uh, away from undue influence from your advertisers that might, you know, corrupt your, your, your system? Well, essentially, before what we did was publish everything and tell our readers and our users uh, in our forum, publish every single whitelisted ad, and tell our people to complain and then make adjustments upon their feedback. And we did that. In the case of you know some very big advertisers, people complained. They said, we don't think this fits, so we changed it. But we, we needed to go the extra mile. And that's why we and some other ad blockers said, okay, we're going to we're going to form the basis of this committee, and then we're going to give it an independent charter and not be part of it. And so the way that we keep you know, from getting corrupted um, now is through the Acceptable Ads Committee. So the criteria are 100% cleaved from the technical side of whitelisting. Hmm. And the technical side of whitelisting is actually free um, for 90% of the companies who are whitelisted. Uh, so if, if, if you're listening and you have a blog out there and you want to uh, whitelist an ad or two on your site, you can apply and it's going to be totally free. Um, but for the bigger players out there, we have to provide them kind of what like uh, an ad tech company would provide. We have to provide them with monitoring. We have to provide them with the actual tech that's going to whitelist the ads. We have to ensure that the ads are going to be whitelisted and we have to report on that. Um, to the oversight committee, uh, the acceptable ads committee I mentioned before. So there's a lot of services attached to it. That's where we, we make uh, our money. 
but that is uh, leaves it completely free uh, for users. Oh, okay. Thank you for explaining that because I think it's important to understand um, when you're evaluating any of these products is to figure out you know who they're truly benefiting and uh, and what the, the revenue model is. Sure. Um, so one more question, and this might be a little bit of a thorny one. It, so we're talking about the qualities of the ads that make them a bad ad, and a lot of them have to do with visual and audio and things like that. What about tracking? Does does your acceptable ads program address that in any way, or is that just completely a separate issue? It it, it is under it is under the um, I guess uh, I mean it's the decision of the committee. It is on the table. Yes. Um, at the moment, there are no privacy guidelines within acceptable ads. So what we do at the moment is that we we offer users privacy-friendly uh, acceptable ads, the, cho- the, the choice to take those or the choice to take sort of normal ads, which some, some of which could have some, uh, some tracking uh, in them. Um, but it is on the table for the um, acceptable ads committee. Um, also on the table for the acceptable ads committee is security. Mm-hmm. So if they want to say, you know, if you, you have your ads have to have a minimum threshold of, of security, uh, if they want to make it, uh, to this, then they have to, then, then, um, they have that purview as well. So, so before, I mean, to kind of put it into industry lingo, the, the size placement criteria, those are mainly, um, um, based upon ba- like how it, the ad is displayed, right. And, and, and the format. Of, of the ad, so that that has been historically what acceptable ads has been about. But um, the acceptable ads committee has the purview to expand that to security and privacy as well. Fantastic, that's good. I can't wait for that to happen. All right, well, this has been a very fascinating interview. Thank you so much for all this information. Uh, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask one more last question, sort of a general question. What other advice might you give to, to folks out there that are either worried about tracking or that are super annoyed with ads, but somehow want to support their, uh, the websites they visit. Uh, we've talked obviously a lot of detail so far, but if the, do you have any parting words, any, any final tips or advice you'd like to give the audience? Well, I think, uh, I think we have a, a philosophy of user control. That's where it all comes down to. Um, and that's what ad blockers give the user, um, over, over their internet experience is the, the ability to, um, have it the way that they want it. And we feel like that's how the internet should be the way it was originally uh, imagined and uh, hopefully the way it'll be in the future. And so if, if you're, if you're worried about, you're going to have your set of individual needs, maybe it's ads and tracking, maybe it's security and tracking, maybe it's tracking alone. Um, but there is a solution for you out there. Uh, and you can modify that solution or a number of solutions, however you want. The one parting shot I would give to people is, um, you know, don't listen to the ads industry when they tell you they're going to come up with a solution for you, because they're the one. You know, take your interest, take your own interests into your own hands, and download AdBlocker. Try them out. I mean, there there are are subtle differences between um, the ad blockers out there, um, but essentially, uh, the the one thing. If you do download AdBlocker, one thing though, because just this week there was a, a, a phony ad blocker in Chrome. Ah, yes. 30, yeah, thirty-seven thousand people downloaded this. So, if you download one, go to the actual website first. So yes. go to adblockplus.org. Go to getadblock.com, I think, or .org. Make sure to go to the website because that's going to get you the right extension. 
Um, there are lots of other ad blockers out there and they don't have an address you can write to, <laughs> mm-hmm. or maybe that address is in the Cayman Islands. I don't know. Right. Um, and, and so make sure you're getting the real McCoy. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, just explore this area because there are a lot of solutions out there that can uh, help you take back that control. And that, yeah, fantastic point. And, that, and I, I like to make that point as well. And that uh, we don't say that enough and it, it, because the web has taken so much control over us and all the tracking and things. It's so nice to be able to regain some of that control and you guys are helping with that. So everybody check out Adblock plus, make sure you go get the real for real one. <laughs> and uh, Ben, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about this today. It was very informative. Gary, thank you. All right. And time for just a quick tip of the week. And it's something that we just talked about with Ben a little bit. And I just want to make sure that whenever you go to the web and you need to download anything, if you need to download, especially some sort of an installer, uh, make sure you always go to the source. Don't, don't click on the links and emails. If you can absolutely help it, uh, go to the website directly yourself. Let's, let's say you get an email from Netgear and saying, Hey, we've got an update for your router. There's been a bug fix that you really need to get. Click here to download the update or to find your update. Uh, I would just go to Google or whatever your favorite web uh, search engine is uh, and go to net or just go straight to the, your web address bar and type in netgear.com and then follow the support links from there to find your model and find the download. I know it's harder that way. I know you, you'll have to do a little more poking around, uh, but always go to the source that wraps up the episode folks. Uh, As always, don't get caught with your drawbridge down and stay safe. I will see you next week.